1: No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply.
0: See website for details. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Barca Talk. I'm Brian Henderson, and with me, as always, is Gabriel Quiroga. Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from a different
1: mother and fellow Kool-Aids. Welcome to Barca Talk. We have a
0: lot to talk about, and I'm coming in hot today. Brian, I'm coming in hot you are coming in very hot. You have a lot to you have a lot of things to complain about, but uh, on the on the other hand, uh, I think you have some nice things to talk about. Um this you had a 4-day weekend because of the Fiesta Nacional in Spain. So, how's that been going?
1: That was good. We have uh so the Fiesta Nacional was on the 12th, which was Thursday, and what happens a lot of times here in Spain is they take the Friday off. And what they call that, they call that a puente or bridge, right? So they bridge the holiday to make it a 4-day weekend. And so most of Madrid left again for the four-day weekend. So for me, it was perfect. I got to recover a little bit. I had a guest, a really good friend of mine, visit me from Phoenix, my friend Andrew. Um, it was great to have him. But also, just we went out every night, basically. So I took the Fiesta Nacional to kind of recover, watch some movies, and... You know, just hang out pretty much, but it was really nice. So, what's partying like in Madrid <laughs> with, with Andrew? <laughs> well, see, my Andrew, my friend Andrew's uh, he's good people, and he definitely likes uh, going out for drinks and so forth. He had been here before Madrid, and we basically uh, discovered new bars in my neighborhood and went to have canyas all the time. Uh, again, I'm just not used to going out in so many nights in a row. So he came on Thursday, and it was Thursday through Tuesday, basically, just every night going out.
0: So, uh, yeah, man, you're not, you're not in your 20s anymore.
1: Correct, I'm not in my 20s anymore. Um, plus, I had to work on Wednesday, which was a little rough, uh, but I made it through. And knowing I was going to have a four day weekend, so, but it was great to have him. Uh, he came for my birthday party, which was last weekend, and it was great to see uh, other friends that came to visit as well. Uh, it was a good time, but again, you know, again, I'm not 20 anymore, so my recovery powers are not what they used to be.
0: Yeah, you can't just like pop a couple of ibuprofen and have some water and you know take a run and you're fine anymore. Correct. It takes like a whole takes a day or maybe even more to recover. Correct. Uh, I went out last night and I'm running in slow motion
1: like Andres Gomez. So uh, we'll see. <laughs> we will. We will see. But I'm coming in hot
0: today. I got a lot. Of, I got a lot of things on my mind. I got a lot of things to complain about. So. Uh, let's start the show then before we get into barca barca stuff uh, let's do some sort of barca adjacent stuff or things that are pertinent to us things we care about Uh, let's start off with your first complaint the u.s men's national team failed to qualify for the world cup finals in russia and i imagine a lot of our listeners are also invested in this um it's the first time they haven't qualified since 86 and uh and we have a lot to say about it why don't you kick it off um, this is a nightmare on so many levels. I, I
1: just can't get over this, uh, this failure. Not only as a World Cup, but as a federation, as a program, as soccer football in the United States, it's just a complete failure all the way from the bottom to the top. And it's you know, for example, Brees Arena, he should have resigned right there at the press conference. His comments at that press conference were absurd. Like he's like, "Oh, this is just a blemish." Are you kidding me? Like you can't win in Trinidad Tobago. You can't get these victories in CONCACAF. And yeah, CONCACAF is a difficult run, but at the same time, we have the most population, we have the most money, we have the most resources, and we cannot pull a team together. Uh, Just a couple other things. We haven't qualified for the Olympics in the last two cycles, which is a joke. That also led to poor performances in the senior team. And this needs to completely shake up the foundation of u.s soccer federation from the from from the kids all the way to the top because we're not progressing this is now you know it's you know it's kind of funny i was not a big fan of Jurgen klinsman but he actually brought out a lot of points uh, pushing the players and the players now i'm looking back where the problem it wasn't Jurgen klinsman it was the players josie Altador, fueta Michael Bradley, fuera! Like you got to be kidding me with these players! Like these guys can't even hack it in Europe, and then they come back to MLS, and then they're captains of the U.S. team. It's it. I mean, I I woke up the next morning because I didn't watch the game, and I had the ESPN alerts right on my phone, and it says the first one was men's national team fails to qualify. I almost threw my phone against the wall. I was like, are you kidding me right now? Like this is. I've been so invested in this team for so long, especially since it's like. All my childhood and all my life, basically, because I love the World Cup so much. And Bruce Arena, like this guy, I mean, he had a great World Cup run in 2002, but this is the worst thing he's ever done as a coach. Uh, Did you watch the game? I mean, what did
0: you I mean, what was the? Yeah, I watched I watched some of the game. It was uh, it was uh, pretty disappointing. But let me walk this back for a second. Um, So just teach me uh, what is Fuera?
1: Fuera is out. Ouch. Yeah. Okay. So basically, like, Josie Altador, this guy just kills me. He has, like, flashes of potential, but he's so lazy. His work ethic is terrible. And Michael Bradley, everyone thinks he's, like, this great passer, this great player. He's terrible. He couldn't even play in Italy. He couldn't play in England. Like, no, these guys. And, and the other thing, too, is the MLS. And I don't know if MLS... You know, what's going on with that? Like, I can't watch it. What they're doing, they don't have relegation. They don't have promotion. So the so the clubs are very comfortable. They don't push players. The only shining point is Pulisic, and he's the only one. But he's playing in Germany, and he can't carry the team right now. And he scored a goal. But just watching the highlights of the team, like, they look like they were, like, just in a practice game. Like, it was such a joke. I just, everything, and especially Sunil Gulati, the the president, just, oh, my God, this guy just... Infuriates me so much because he's just like, oh well, we made a hundred million dollars, great, fantastic. Invest that money. Yeah, where, where's the trophy? Yeah. Where's the qualification? It's just like,
0: where's the progress? Exactly.
1: And like, you know, it's funny. Like when I played uh, soccer as a kid in high school and stuff, like I would always play, you know, pickup games or a club or whatever, and there was always like immigrant kids that were playing, right? And they were really, really good, like really good, and. When was the last time we had an African player, like a true African immigrant player or a Latin player or a Mexican-American player? I cannot believe that we don't have any of these. We're not going into the, the, the I don't know, these lower socioeconomic groups and pulling these players out, um, especially with all this money. I mean, that's what we need to do. We need to get these players where the kids have to pay to play. That thing's a joke. That doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. It's it's a luxury sport and we're soft and it's it's it kills me. So thank God I live here in Spain that's my adopted national team now so viva
0: españa. Right well okay so for me um I want to go back to what you said about Jürgen Klinsmann and I felt the same way the whole time Klinsmann was managing the team was that it it wasn't him. In fact I was talking about this a year or more ago with my dad and I was saying, you know, the problem with the US men's national team is not the manager i don't think it's the fact that there are so many americans on the team you know we act like we act like they owe it to us it's very entitled yeah yeah and you know the funny thing like the attitude among the players <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so entitled you know it's
1: funny it's just like um i don't know if we talked about this before but i've always talked about it with my friends here and so forth is that the u.s doesn't have a defined style Right, You know, like um, when I think of Alabama football or SEC football, I think of power football and defense. When I think of uh, the San Antonio Spurs, I think of really good defense and smart players and this type of thing. Like the U.S. has no identity of style, and that's a lot of our problems. I always think that we should go and be always a four-four-two 2 and adopt the style of Atletico Madrid, be really good on defense, set plays, have really good goalkeeping. And counterattack football because we don't have the possession and defense is always going to keep us into big games, but we don't have a style. And, you know, this is not I know it's not the U.S. men's national team podcast, but at the same time, I just was like, this is oh, my God, I just this team. I mean, I just can't I can't get over it. I can't get over it. Like they don't want to play Copa America because it, it, it interviews with MLS. That's what happened last time. I'm like, oh my God, you gotta be kidding me. And I can't believe the glory years are gonna be. We're not, like, when you look back now at the whole US soccer World Cup performances, like, the glory years is 94 and 2002, two times, right? And you could have progress from that and we didn't and now it's a
0: joke okay well a a couple of points uh stephen colbert actually had a good bit about this on on his show and he reminded us that we actually the u.s does actually have a very successful soccer team in the women's side they've won three world cups and they've never not qualified for the women's world cup so Of course, we're talking specifically about the U.S. men's national team and all the failings in that entire system, and that has all come to the surface in this recent loss and uh, inability to qualify for the men's World Cup. Um, But to bring it back into the Barca arena, uh, we did get a question from our our buddy Don Marlin 503 on Instagram, and he says, with the recent loss of the U.S. MNT and elimination of the World Cup, do you see Pulisic stock drop? Does FCB jump on that? And, of course, we've talked about this before, you know, the the possibility how much we would love to see Pulisic, an American, playing for Barcelona. But I don't think that this affects uh, Pulisic's value. No, it, it does not affect him at all. He's, he's probably the only player
1: that's going to be left on the team going forward or should be left on the team. Everyone else... Fuera. Um, he's, he's, uh, his stock's not going to drop because again, he's 19. He's playing at a premier club, getting lots of experience. You know, he was talking about how in his practices, he has to continually fight just to play. So his stock is not going to drop. And he is the only hope, uh, that we have as, uh, Americans following soccer. Like he is the only one, Doing something. He's the only one, um, you know, making uh, strides in the international game. He's the only one that's in Champions League. He's the only one playing in and out on a Bundesliga. So, this is our only hope going forward. Everyone else needs to follow his. His, his path basically leave the U.S. when he was 16 to find an academy with a proper club and get developed that way. Get playing time, learn the language if you need to learn a new language and really get yourself involved that way because you can clearly see he's a, he's head and shoulders above everyone on the U.S. men's national team. Work ethic, talent. Just everything, how he shows, like that he actually cares. You know, he was like crying. You know, Uh, these type of
0: things. And he's still just a kid. He's
1: still just a kid, and it's you know, it's really sad he's not going to get this experience. You know, this would have really, really helped him because not only if he would have had a good campaign, who knows what would have happened if he would have gone to a bigger team or you know a bigger transfer or something like this. Personally, I hope he stays with Bruce Dortmund. I think it's a great team for him uh, currently for the next couple of years, and then if Barcelona wants to pick him up, pick him up. That would be a dream.
0: Yeah, and I imagine that there are plenty of American fans of European clubs uh who are thinking the same thing that we're thinking like maybe you know one day it would be so great to have him on that on that club, you know, for us. I'm sure there are American PSG fans who would love for PSG to pick him up maybe. Um it's just the idea of having an American on one of these top European clubs. It would be it would be a real morale booster for a lot of us. But uh, you know we'll see what happens with that. I I think that you know there is a possibility maybe one day, but uh, or not. But uh, like you said, I think he's in a good place at Dortmund right now. It's it's working for him and he's he's developing a lot in that in that side. Uh, but let me turn it to another issue that came up in the inter- international break, and that's Argentina, right? So Messi had a hat trick in their last match, uh, which managed to send Argentina to Russia, and. On top of that, uh, Val Green is going to be glad that Messi won't have to travel to New Zealand for a playoff, you know, in the middle of their campaign at Barcelona.
1: Yeah. So this is the opposite of the USMT, right? Like I woke up and I also had this alert like Messi hat trick. I was like that MFer. Good God. Like, <laughs> like I I can't distress this enough of how much I love Messi. Like we, you know, obviously we've talked our love for Messi, but, you know, watching these highlights and. I mean, he did everything again, right? Like we said last time, he drove the bus. He cut the oranges for the team at halftime. He let you know, laid out the uniforms for the team. And, of course, he did a hat trick. The game was brutal. The, I watched the game. It was brutal to watch because Argentina has no chemistry. And they've had, like I think, 60 or more players that have started one game for them in this whole cycle, which is insane. Or 70 or something like this. But Messi, again, comes through for them. And you know what's crazy, too, is that... Um, I don't know how you feel about this. Do you think that he needs to win a World Cup to be the greatest player? This is always like the debate, right? Everyone thinks in Argentina they always have Maradona first and then Messi second for the most part. But for me, I think Messi is a much better player than Maradona just because he's done it consistently for such a long time and he doesn't do coke. That 's the other thing, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah he
0: gets points for not doing code <laughs> uh, you know that's it 's always a, a difficult conversation to have because you know comparing players from different eras is always you know fraught with with problems uh, The game was different, um, and well, yeah, I mean, like really that 's the main thing, is that the way that they played in maradona's time is different from messi's time and does he need to win a world cup in order to be considered the greatest player of all time in argentina i think he does um i think for most i don't know you, you just bring so much of your own personal baggage into that whole discussion of like is he the best is he not the best i think he's already the best i don't think it's really up for debate but also you know i'm a barcelona fan so i'm clearly biased and Anyone who's um, a diehard Real Madrid fan would point to Ronaldo and say, look at what everything Ronaldo has done. Why, you know, what makes him not the best? I don't know. I mean, you just you just bring so much of your own personal garbage into it. The, and but, but then again, that's why we care. That's why we do a podcast like this is because we we have so much of this personal investment in things. So it's hard to objectively say You know, what are the parameters? What are the criteria by which we would judge such a thing? And it's, I mean, he's clearly, he's clearly the best. (laughs) I mean, that's my conclusion is that he doesn't have to win a World Cup to prove that he is the best. Now, then there's the other issue that people often forget when they talk about this, which is, you know, one player does not win a, a World Cup. One player cannot win a World Cup and never has. Even when Maradona took them to the championship Took them to the World Cup and won it with them. There were still 10 other guys on the field. He didn't do it all by himself. It takes a team. And sometimes it takes a, a superior impact player to really elevate the team. And he's doing everything he can right now. And maybe it just worked better under Maradona. But, yeah, the team is is failing. And we got a comment from a listener, actually, about this, um, what Sampoli said. And I thought it was a really beautiful sentiment. Sampoli said, uh, apparently that uh, Messi does not owe Argentina a World Cup. Football owes Messi a World Cup. And I think that, that more or less sums it up. Yeah, I
1: totally agree. And, you know, Argentina has a lot of work to do. I mean, they they qualified; They don't have to do the playoff. However, San Paulo has a lot of work to do. They still need to figure out their squad, their rotation, their formation, how to use Messi the best because they basically almost have Messi as a midfielder in this weird four, four, two, four, three kind of hybrid thing. And, and he has no chemistry with the other players. Like he, he's setting them up with these amazing passes and the other guys are like, Oh, you're, Oh no, I didn't know you're going to pass to me. And they're like late on the thing or they're offsides. And it's, it's just like him playing with kids. You know what I'm saying? So um, we'll see. I mean, right. The first step is you got to get to the dance, right? That's the first step. And whoever, you know, you're playing four weeks, momentum takes, Takes you through uh, a little bit of luck, and you never know what Argentina can do because they have the talent. They just need to get it put together. So we'll see how they fare in the next World Cup. Yeah,
0: so let's get into the Barca talk, quote-unquote, the proper show. So uh, coming up today's show, we have some news from the front office. We're going to talk about the Ballon d'Or. We're going to talk about a hilariously boring interview with Andre Gomez, Um, check in with the women's side and Barca B., do a quick recap of La Liga and then we're going to talk about our first non-win of the year the match against Atletico and of course as we always do we'll uh, tie things up with a preview of the Champions League and La Liga matches coming up. So first up the news from the front office is that um, Albert Soler and Raul Sanei will leave their roles with Barcelona and um, Bartomeu is going to announce a new executive structure at the club's General Assembly on October 21st, so that should be coming this week. And um, this restructuring comes after two vice presidents, Carlos Biarubi and Jordi Monez, resigned in protest of the decision to play the Las Palmas match behind closed doors a couple weeks ago, if you remember that. And uh, Pep Segura will be the new general manager, and that's already confirmed. And he's going to take on a number of responsibilities of Soler and Sanyehi. So I'm wondering about the this sort of shakeup in the front office. Um, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? What What are your thoughts?
1: So I think that it's kind of a mixed bag still because, you know, it's interesting to see how they resigned. I don't, I don't really know much about them, um, so we'll see – if they're yes men or not um i'm kind of just mixed about it i you know it's still you know just happened like a week ago so we don't know anything we'll see what happens with the january transfer if they do something maybe that'll give us some indication of the direction they're going to go and how the um how pep Segura is going to manage the team and and maybe get some transfers out like for example turan for example get him out of out of Barca and get that money back somehow so it's interesting um, you know I don't really have too many comments about it because I don't really know you know it's funny because I don't really know how um, how they they come up with their strategy their plan because they're not as transparent you know kind of like in the states with the NBA or NFL you kind of have more information of what the front offices are going to do but with football they're definitely more disguised more secretive so it's kind of hard you only see the, the result right like when they actually sign someone or when they're talking about signing someone, but you kind of don't know what kind of strategy they're going to go with. So we'll see what happens with Pep Segura being the new general manager.
0: Yeah, well, these two, uh, Soler and Sanye who are going to be leaving, uh, they've been really the chief negotiators in the transfer market. Uh, Soler, he's been involved with the signings uh, over the last few years of Turan, Vidal, denny suarez Umtiti, who at 25 million euro i think we can easily agree is uh was a steal and uh, we had one listener check in and say that they think uh, um is really undervalued and i i'd have to agree we value him very much here um but um i think maybe he because he's maybe so kind of low profile and chill he gets a, a little bit overlooked which is in a way a good thing because he shows up at the games and that's all we really need but, uh, yeah, Soler was also involved with, like, Dina, Andre Gomes, which is, you know, that's a thing we've talked about over and over again. Paco Alcacer, you know, at 30 million euro, he's not he's not playing a lot. He's, it's not that he's a bad player, but he just can't seem to find a place in the team. But then, you know, he also oversaw Nelson Semedo, Pauli, Dembele, and he got Val Green. So, I mean, lo- losing Soler, I think it'll be... Um, probably not too big of an impact uh it would be, ideally we would get someone in there or maybe if Pep Segura maybe he'll do an even better job moving forward getting some players out like you like Turan like you said and uh you know continuing to bring in hopefully you know younger uh promising players who can really like establish the future for the club whereas Senyehi, you know he's actually been with Barca since 2008 under Laporta he handled the deal that brought Neymar from Santos in 2013 and apparently he also convinced Neymar to turn down PSG's 2016 offer Uh, but I guess he just didn't have the juice to convince him to stay again (laughs) so I mean maybe losing him could be um, could be a bad thing but hopefully Segura can step up and again we don't know what the uh, what the resulting structure of the club is going to be what the front office is going to be Uh, we'll learn about that on the 21st and i don't know it's just maybe reshuffling deck chairs who knows you know like in the states where you have the the main general manager he's the one that kind of
1: makes all the personnel decisions and then he kind of has his scouts and his kind of assistant gm they help with the decision making and finding players well and Mostly in football, right? Like it's kind of, yeah, this is the general manager. He's ultimately making the final decision. But it's a group of them coming together with this decision. So it's almost like a lot of chefs in the kitchen. That's why I think there was a lot of chaos this summer with the transfer market because there was a lot of discourse of who they were going to sign, how much they were going to sign. So, again, you know, we saw the list of uh, Senelli. How do you say his name? Sen, Senlehi. I can't even say his name. I'm saying it Um uh... I
0: don't Sanyei,
1: I don't really know how to pronounce it. <laughs> yeah, Sen Sen Sen. Not going to work here anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> we're going to see the strategies going forward. We'll, you know, obviously January is coming up very soon. So we'll see if they make any moves to get rid of any of that extra contract. Like for example, with Paco Alcázar and Adu Torreón, I'm I'm curious to see if they uh, loan them out and if they take anyone in, especially like Coutinho. There was a, a random rumor that just started with Coutinho uh, getting signed in January. I don't see that happening just
0: because of complications with Champions League and all kind of things going forward. Yeah, you got to just let it go. Coutinho is not coming. It's not going to happen. I mean, it might happen a couple more years down the line, but it's not going to happen this year. But moving on, let's talk about the list of Ballon d'Or nominees, which was announced this last week. Um, Messi and Suarez are the only Barcelona players on the list. And I found the list really funny, actually, because it includes... Defenders such as Bonucci and Sergio Ramos and goalkeepers uh, like Buffon is on there. And that's really weird to me because, let's be honest, we all know that a goal scorer is going to win the trophy, probably Ronaldo, right? And as a side note, I still believe that all of these awards, whether it's FIFA's The Best or the Ballon d'Or, they're still lame. These individual awards that people vote on, it's not exactly based on any... Exact, you know, statistics, there's no criteria. I mean, that's the whole thing about sport is that we play the game and there's a result to the game. And that's how we choose winners. You know, this is all just, you know, it's more it's popularity contest. It's it's exactly the opposite of what sport is supposed to accomplish. Yeah. and, And again,
1: there's no set formula for these awards. Right. No one knows if it's the most. Uh, it's goals that you have to score or the most award, uh, team awards or victories or there's no set rule. So everything is just askew basically. So again, you're right. This is a popularity contest. I still, before, before I moved to Spain, I thought the Ballon d'Or was such a big deal. And it's now that I've lived here, it's just, it's such a joke. Like they're just like, yeah, it's nice that they win, but at the same time, it's, it's almost like a, a chore. We have to fly there. We have to go to this gala midweek. It's just another thing they have to do. And it's just annoying for them more than anything. So, again, I think it's still lame, but uh, it's going to be tight, you know, because especially if Messi finishes strong the season, uh, I think Ronaldo may pull
0: it off this year. Yeah, and then there's just the, the the question of how each of these players are doing right around the time that the voting is, is coming to a close, right? If Messi's having a great season, and right, and he is right now, and Ronaldo is not— But if you look back over the last year, you know, Ronaldo had a great year last year and he won the Champions League and they won La Liga. So, I mean, there's probably he would have more juice if they had done the voting then. Maybe he would have won it. And when the voting comes to be, you know, coming to a close, if Messi's having a great year and Ronaldo isn't, is Messi going to win it? It's again, it's just there's just so many problems with it. It's so silly. Uh, I don't even want to talk about it anymore. Let's talk about something fun. So you sent me this picture uh, yesterday during the game, and it was from the paper, and it was like some really awkward high school looking photo of Andre Gomez holding a football, and next to it were these all these questions that the re- I guess the reporter had asked him and his responses. Tell me, tell me more about this. What paper was this in for? For so I don't
1: know what paper was. I was watching the game last night with some friends, and my friend who's a Real Madrid fan, we were just joking around because uh, I kept telling him, man, I love Umtiti. And I just kept saying, because he's really young, I, as a joke, like as a thing. And he's like, Oh, by the way, did you ever see the Andre Gomez interview that he did in the paper? And I was like, no. And he's like, you got to see this. So he forwarded to me, and we were just laughing our asses off because – he he is the most like vanilla gray person ever like is this guy serious like first up, we're going to post this picture on our on our facebook page cuz it's glory. it totally looks like uh like varsity blues type of picture you know like you know like uh, your varsity soccer picture next to a tree like holding a soccer ball just in case you don't know he plays soccer Anyway, right. so the reporter asked him a bunch of questions. It's like a get-to-know-him type of questions, right? They're really simple. So first, they ask him, the first question is uh, city, and he says Porto. All right, whatever. The next question, a place to disconnect. And his answer, various. <laughs> <laughs> what? Like, okay. <laughs> like, you couldn't just say just like, just to help the reporter out, right? Like, the beach, or my grandma's house or something like this but varios right that means various the next thing movie and he goes good question i don't know is it this-
0: yeah and it, okay so clear this up for i want you to make this clear for me cuz i was looking at it and it looks like the reporter is just asking him a movie. Correct. Any movie. Correct. Not your favorite movie. Correct. Not what you think is the best movie of the last year, but just name a movie. Correct. Good question. It's like, I don't it's know. like Brian, a movie. You, I would, I would probably like you asked me, i say Big Lebowski. Boom.
1: Just like that. Right. Hey, that that's. The movie. Yeah, I
0: it's a movie. <laughs>
1: the next one, a song. And he goes, I'm not going to say any song because I don't want to upset anyone, but I listen to a lot of music.
0: Is this, is this guy serious? Like Easy man. Yeah, you're not on trial. Just name a song. Name a song that you like. It's okay. The next question. A book. And he goes, I don't know. I'm
1: like I'm
0: like <laughs> Well, okay, maybe he's not a big reader.
1: That's fine, but say the Bible. I don't know. Say like a book. It's like a book. You know, try to be funny or something, you know? Oh my god, this guy. <laughs> the next question. A plate of food, like a, a food, you know, just food. And he's like I don't have a problem with food. First of all, no one said you had a problem with food, okay? But if I have to take one, bolognese pasta. Are you is this guy serious? Is it like like come on. Like something At least he gave an answer. That At is least true. he said a food. That is true. That is true. Then the
0: next That's progress. Then the next
1: question is a historical person. He said it was Savio, obviously Portuguese. Then he said superstition doesn't have one, obviously, cuz he's fucking gray. Um, some sort of hobby, and it's just like he doesn't have a hobby. So in this response, he says, I go with my family to a good movie, but he couldn't name a movie before, so
0: whatever. Yeah. Oh, man, your story is really not lining up. <laughs> correct, okay. correct, yeah. correct.
1: <laughs> and this is the best question of all time is the last one. Some other talent other than football. He responds...
0: Nothing special. <laughs> well, then you really should be a better footballer. <laughs> if if all you do is football, you don't read books, you don't go to movies, you listen to a lot of music, but you don't want to say, and you eat. Maybe you're eating too much pasta bolognese. Correct. But you, you, but, you should probably be a better footballer but, if if that's all you got going on in life. Let
1: me get the answer correctly. He said something, but nothing special. <laughs> 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 wow, what what oh, a man. what a load of laughs this guy is! Jesus,
0: yeah, it's super entertaining. Uh-
1: <laughs> oh my god, this guy! we couldn't stop laughing yesterday when my friend read it because, like, like he's like when he said the the food thing. He, my friend did like the Italian hand thing. He's like, oh, pasta bolognese, right? And we're just like just dying because it's just like. <laughs> These are the most absurd
0: answers. Like have a little personality
1: choice. You could lie. No one cares, you know, like do
0: something. (sighs) No one's going to, yeah, no one's going to like grill you on this. It's just, it's just for fun. It's just a light puff piece, you know. Oh, Andrew, Andrew, Andrew,
1: Andrew. Andrew. Oh, Andrew, yeah. (laughs) All
0: right. Well, let's talk about, let's talk about football for a minute or two. So let's start with the women's side uh, at FC Barcelona. Uh, So they're still at the top of the table. With 15 points, they've had five wins out of five games played. They're tied with Atletico Madrid on points, but they're way, way ahead on goal difference. Uh, they defeated Avalsnes from Norway. That's the club that they I was talking about last week that they had played. Um, they had their second league in the uh, Women's Champions League round of 32, and they beat them again for nothing. So they're going ahead to the round of 16 in the Women's Champions League. There were goals from Lika Martins, Tony Duggan, Andresa Alves and Mariona and so they're just I mean really they're on fire they're tearing it up uh, particularly I think thanks to bringing uh, Tony Duggan and Lika Martins in which they just came this year they're just they're ripping up the uh, the women's league domestic league and they're looking really strong at the moment in the women's champions league of course you know we'll see how that plays out as we get deeper into that tournament
1: yeah i mean the women are looking fierce you know uh i'm curious to see i'm gonna this week i'm gonna make a point to watch one of the the highlights of the games because i kind of want to just figure out if they're also playing a 4-3-3 and if how much they're adopting the tika taka style and and also just the What they're doing, you know, kind of just get a better Grasp of what they're doing because I'm interested now But yeah, they're definitely tearing up the the Women's side, curious to see how They'll do in the Champions League because that Obviously is their ultimate goal since The league isn't as strong and also the Champions League, you know, you have teams from France From Norway, you have really strong teams in Germany And so the competition is is Way more, uh, is stronger So therefore the Champions League is Definitely a better uh, mark of How good they're really progressing because they're a relatively Young team, aren't they? A young organization i think that they haven't been around
0: for that long or how well barcelona uh has had a women's side for uh several years now I, i'd say it's in the neighborhood of 10 years I, I don't have that in front of me right now but yeah it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 years but just the women's game has been escalating over that time and i wouldn't say that barca has been really at the vanguard of that Uh, until recently you know they're also talking about uh, fielding a women's team in the u.s women's league which would be i think very exciting Um, it might be more of a brand thing than a style thing but uh, in any case that's good so they're really at the moment the club is taking on um, the women's game more seriously and clearly by signing the players that they've signed they're really making a move to be a, a dominant club in the in the women's game so it maybe over the last year or two they've really stepped up their concern with that so i just asked google and you're wrong it's 30 years Uh, 30 30 years years.
1: so they they were actually founded in 88 but i think like we just we talked about that recently they've been making a huge push because overall barcelona is always looking to be the best quote-unquote club of all sport, right? So this also includes the women's side. So they're definitely investing because they can see the potential. And I think it would be awesome if they get a women's team in the U.S. I think that would be not only for branding, but exposure, but also hopefully bringing some really great U uh, S players to Barcelona as well. So, I think it's a great strategy because, you know, it's almost like an it, not almost it is an untapped market, uh, the women's side and also just investing that kind of money and also being really good as a as a as a women's team that just makes the whole Barca brand even stronger.
0: Yeah. And I mean, speaking of the club overall, I mean, have you seen that handball team handball, man? It's the next big thing. Get on it. I <laughs> I actually like the roller hockey. Yeah, the roller hockey. <laughs> Oh, how about arena football? They should really <laughs> yeah, there you do go. An, a, a American arena football, which has you know really taken off in the states. Yeah, it's, yeah, been, yeah. it's been huge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but let's talk. well, let's talk about the the B squad, Barca B. Um, they won their game this last weekend against La Hoya Lorca, one uh, nothing, with a goal from uh, our new signing Jose Arnaiz. Um They lost their previous match to Numancia, 0 They drew against Oviedo before that, one one. With a goal from Arnaiz, they're 13th in the table um, in the second division. And right now, Arnaiz is their top scorer uh, for the season with four goals. Carlos Alenia has three and really, uh, Arnaiz seems to be the one to watch. Um, actually, Talk FCB, the YouTube channel, made a great video about him uh, last week that I was watching, and he, he seems to be the real deal. And I'm wondering how soon we're going to see him in the first team because it seems like almost a foregone conclusion that that's going to happen.
1: Yeah, so really good results from Barca B. Um, we, you know, again, like we said, their main goal should just be to stick into the second division, just so they can develop those players. If they thirteenth, twelfth, eleventh, just be comfortable, uh, just staying in Segunda. So we'll see. Uh, I'll have to check out this this our nice guy. So it's that Talk FCB YouTube channel has great content, great videos all the time. So definitely check out that channel. We'll give him a shout out on Twitter. But yeah, it's it's really good content. I have to check out that video.
0: Yeah, I mean Arnaiz, nice he uh, he just signed came from um, Valladolid. And uh, he's, uh, he's a strong winger, like a sort of traditional proper winger. He really likes to get forward, get past his man, cut inside, make things happen. He's confident. He's strong. He's fast. And he's clearly very skillful. And he can finish. So uh, we'll maybe we'll check back with him uh, next time. And I was thinking about this, you know, uh, thinking about the women's side and the Barca B team, And like tickets to these matches are really cheap, if not free sometimes. And I'm just thinking if I were in Barcelona, I would go to a lot of these matches because it's, you know, it's expensive to get into the first team matches, even against a, a weaker opponent. It can get a little pricey, but like you can be in like the perfect seats for a B squad game for 15 euro. And that's like a fraction of the cost.
1: Yeah, not only that, but you're like up close and personal. You know, you're 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 like a couple meters away from the players. You get better exposure to them. You can actually like get autographs. You can actually like talk to them a little bit. And yeah, it's it's a you know it's just like what you said, like the minor leagues, basically. You know, it's like minor league baseball.
0: Yeah. Have you ever gone to yeah, a minor league baseball yeah, game? Like
1: uh, in my. In the Bay Area, we had the San Jose Giants, which used to be a feeder team, obviously, for the San Francisco Giants. So you could see some future stars coming through. And it was a lot of fun because not only was it cheap, but, you know, it was in San Jose. So it was really close to my house. So, example, like if you live right next to the stadium, you go check out some quality football, support Barca, see some young future stars, hopefully, for the team. And, you know, like I said, if you're a kid, it's great because you can definitely – Go talk to them, get autographs are more approachable for sure,
0: yeah, and right now, you know with the Barsa B team, you know you could go and see Elena play, and really up close, and he 's already logged some minutes with the first team and. I mean, unless something happens and they decide to, you know, sell him to another club for whatever reason, uh, he's going to be on the first team one day and he's probably going to be a major player. Or That seems to be the, the path that he's on. So you could go see him right now up close for 15 euro if you're in Barcelona.
1: Exactly. And that's a really good point, because like right now you can see Elena. And also, since they're in Segunda B, you're going to see some pretty good soccer, too. It's not going to be... It's such a huge drop-off from La Liga.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And with the women's side, you know, you can absolutely see the top players in the women's game for, like, next to nothing. Like Martins, you know, she was just named the top woman player of the world. And so you can just go and just watch them play and for, like, next to nothing. And Especially when you're in those situations where there's an international break and you want to see some, some club action, but all the top players are, you know, playing for their countries something like that would be uh, i think a fantastic alternative uh, but anyway like i said if if i were in barcelona i feel like i'd be going to a lot of those S- speaking of the first team let's let's t- get into the first team and uh, look at la liga and do a quick review i was uh, i was watching the getafe real madrid match and i was so excited when getafe scored they were 5 minutes away from drawing real madrid 1-1 but Ronaldo put his team ahead with uh, his first La Liga goal of the season. Of course, he scored goals in the Champions League, but this was his first goal in La Liga. And um, that that one shot put it away, made it 2-1, and uh, shot Real Madrid up to second place behind Barca with 17 points. Um, also, Sevilla, who have been showing pretty well so far, they lost to Athletic Bilbao, so they were kept at 16 points. And um, we're recording this before Valencia's match. If, if Valencia win that, they'll go ahead by one point. They'll go ahead of Real by one point. Um, but if not, Real are right where we'd expect them to be. And with this draw to Atletico, Real are actually the ones who really won because they're in second place now, five points behind us, with Atletico and Valencia right behind. So since Barca and Atletico both dropped a couple of points with that draw, Real are the ones who really benefit the most from it. So the league is shaping up exactly the way you'd expect it to.
1: Yeah, it was just a matter of time before Real Madrid would come back right behind second and third place, especially with the other teams kind of faltering in the last couple of weeks. Uh, the team that I'm, I'm really interested in watching, I'm going to watch the match tonight, is Valencia. Valencia has been looking really strong, especially now that they have an actual breathing competent manager in Marcelino so they actually have someone that actually knows what they're doing over there so and also they've gotten rid of a lot of the terrible uh players that they had last year that had terrible attitudes and so forth so they're, they're looking really strong this season obviously Sevilla is still going to be in the mix but man like leading up to the the match and the sports shows here they were talking about the grass and Hitafe, like that was a sports topic here for 10 minutes or something that against barcelona they let it long and then of course for real madrid they cut it perfectly just so real madrid could have a nice plain surface for them to play i was really upset because obviously i thought they were going to pull off the tie but of course real madrid you know how they do ronaldo got that last uh last minute goal and they put him ahead so the the league is shaping up um we have some tough matches coming up, and we'll see how Barcelona fare in the next couple weeks.
0: Yeah, and so let's get into the Atletico match. Now, we actually have a lot to talk about concerning this match, and there's a lot of background before we get into the game itself. So let's dive into that. Um, going into this, and it, I guess it still has remained the case, Atletico have not beaten Barcelona in La Liga since 2010, um, which was, I think, pretty cool, and they managed to maintain that unbeaten a streak, uh, but Barcelona were hoping to tie the club record for the best start to the season. Uh, they were going in with seven straight wins. They were only one shy of equaling the start of the 2013-14 season when they started with eight straight wins, but it was not to be, and uh, probably the, 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 the biggest sort of peripheral news about this match was the fact that um, Barcelona canceled their application for Uh, a ticket allocation for their fans after Atletico lowered the um, tickets that were previously offered, citing logistical problems. And there are actually a lot of little issues about this that we could get into. But basically Atletico had initially um, offered Barcelona 1000 tickets, but then uh, citing uh, commitments to their socios, they had to lower it to 250. And then Barcelona just said, no, no, thanks. We don't want any of your tickets we're going to take our ball and go home like
1: this stuff to me is just so petty this is like the same stuff as like always you know it's like there should be a rule as always like you have a certain amount of tickets allocated all the time no matter what team you are in la liga so if you were you know it doesn't matter if you're barcelona hit off or whatever and you're gonna go play at the wanda you have a thousand tickets end of story that's it but all these like Depending on these logistical problems, probably because they just moved to, like, Windows Vista or something, they, you know, these things, like, always happen here. It drives me mad sometimes because it's just, like, it's so backroom deals. You know what I'm saying? Like, nothing's ever on the – there's no rules about this, right? There's no rules that say they have to allocate this number every game. They need to put that. And they always have these little, you know, schoolyard tantrums, as you say. And, and of course, it's just 250 tickets and it's like, come on. 250 tickets are you kidding me that's like i could have 250 people in my house i think you know like that's (laughs) that it's such a small number you know it's such a small number and especially here with a lot of barcelona fans that want to go see the match they can't go because you have to be associate it's a really complicated process and it's expensive as well so
0: yeah well there are a couple of there are a couple of issues that that bring that this brings up so like the, the main one probably that some people might think is that it has something to do with politics because, you know, all of this is happening in the midst of continuing political turmoil in Spain between Spain and Catalonia. Um, but Atletico, the president, Enrique Cerezo, he insists that there's no political aspect to this. There are no political overtones. And honestly, I I believe him. I think I, I don't think he's hiding anything on that Um, again, I do think that the fact that they can change from 1000 tickets to 250 in the last week is not cool, but uh, I don't think that there was any particular, you know, political aspect to this, you know, Atletico weren't going in with the Spanish flags on their jerseys like Las Palmas did. And he continually insists that they just there. It's not that they're apolitical as a club, but obviously, you know, the people who run, Atletico, they have their own personal politics and then that's going to bleed into certain aspects of how they run the club. But Cereso seems to be very clear that Atletico is about sports and leaving politics outside of it. and and I I mean, I don't know, I'm not super involved with following them, so I don't know, but I, I have a tendency to to believe him. But then the other thing that comes up for me is this question of, uh, I think you've told me that there isn't much of an away game culture. In Spain, like certainly not as much as there is in, say, the English Premier League. Exactly. And that's why, because in the English Premier League, they have a set rule of how many
1: tickets are allocated for away teams. So they can already plan an uh, advance when they want to do, go to an away match. And they also have a set time. Here in Spain, they always change the time in the day, either on a Saturday or Sunday or time. So it's really difficult to make plans. Let's say, for example, um, you want to see a match... In Sevilla, for example, and it's the, when you plan it out, it's on a Saturday at two o'clock, and then the week before they're like, oh, it's Sunday night at eight forty-five, and you're like, oh, but I already bought my train ticket back, so you miss out on the game. So this always happens a lot here. They don't plan it; they don't keep the times fixed. There's a lot of uh, flexibility in the in the timing, and then also, like I said, there's no uh, allocation, set allocation for tickets. So you know, let's say if I wanted, like I said, if I want to see a match, I have to really, really battle other people to get that tickets it's very difficult so
0: for me it's just easier to watch at home so the old Spanish way prevails and it uh, makes it difficult for away fans to, uh, to to go to those games but it's also worth noting that it's not like they were barring uh, Barcelona fans from attending you know there were some Barcelona fans in the stands but you know they just weren't in their you know allocated uh, their own little pen up top of the stands uh, all cheering together they were just sort of peppered all throughout the crowd so yeah again they they weren't restricted from attending but yeah all of the the scheduling things and the changes the sudden changes in ticket allocations it makes yeah why would there be um an away game culture in spain when there are all these barriers to it but on the, the scheduling tip we actually got a got an instagram comment from schnarfen who says, I swear, he actually had a lot to say, and I'm just going to pick out this one point. Uh, he says, I swear FIFA is out to get us because going away at Atletico right after international break is grueling. W- what's your response? I have a response to that, but l- the, what's your response to that?
1: First of all, it's not FIFA. Second of all, this is what the schedule is. It's I mean, We played a lot of easy teams before, so... This is going to happen. We're going to have to play difficult teams. Yeah, it would be nice to lead into maybe um, you know a Hetafe and then Atlético Madrid type of a situation, but this is this is what the schedule is. The team knows before what's going to happen. This wasn't like they just uh, Atlético Madrid just popped out two weeks ago and it's like oh we got to play Atlético Madrid. So it's not FIFA. It's just what the schedule is. There's nothing you can do about it more importantly it's just it's difficult right because for example messi and other players come from world cup qualifying from across the world and they have to come back and then they have to play atletico madrid which is always always a tough match not not only physically but mentally
0: yeah although you got to admit i don't think that uh I don't think that Messi really was suffering too much after his flight. He looked he looked good. Messi's
1: not human, so you can't be <laughs> – I mean, you can't he, – he's completely the outlier. But look at Suarez, right? Like Suarez looked – Lethargic. And, you know, you could tell that he, he played a, uh, an important match on Wednesday or Tuesday night and then had to fly across the world. So Messi's don't ever look at Messi. Messi's the, that guy always wants to play ball and he'll play ball anytime, anywhere with anybody. You know, he, he just loves playing ball.
0: He so was for probably him, playing on the flight from Argentina back to Spain.
1: Probably, probably. He was like juggling in the seat and stuff, just passing the ball and just, yeah. So they actually, uh, what I read too, is they actually sent out a private plane for him. Barcelona did to, send, to pick up uh, Suarez and uh, Messi to get him back faster. So before we we played quote-unquote easier teams so it was bound to happen that we're gonna play atletico it just happened to fall after the international break
0: yeah it's it's unfortunate scheduling but yeah i don't think anyone is is out to get it i mean the schedule like everyone has to play everyone and you know sometimes it just works out that way but of course we do appreciate schnarfen checking in and telling us all of his all of his thoughts now um before we get into the game itself Um, I want to say this is the first game that I've watched at the Wanda. I mean, I wasn't there, but this is the first game I've watched on TV that was happening at the Wanda. And man, that place looks awesome. I mean, just those the LED lights all around the rim of the canopy and the way it just swirls around. It looks like a really great atmosphere and the seats, the way it's designed so that the crowd is like really present. It looks like a, a really great environment for a game.
1: Yeah, it's a brand new stadium. It just kicked off this season. There is a lot of fanfare about it because it's the the newest modern stadium in Spain. Of course, it has all the the bells and whistles, like the new uh, plasma or not plasma, the new flat screens they have all over. It's like one of the only stadiums that shows the games live. You know, like when you're in the game, you're actually watching it on TV, kind of a thing, which I think is really cool. Always adds to the uh, the fan experience. But also, like it just has everything. It's more comfortable. Um, The only thing it's it's kind of difficult to get to because there's only one metro station that gets there. And I've seen pictures of like it just looks like cattle being herded into this metro station. You know, so. um, Uh, that's the only bad thing about it, but everything else is, it's going to be the new uh, national team stadium too, as well. That's where the national team is going to play their major games just because it's a modern uh, venue. It's nice. It can fit a lot of people and it's in Madrid. So I think going forward too, that's where they should play the Copa del Rey. That's where they should do all the major matches uh, in Spain, just because it's so nice, new. Uh, It has all the LED things. It's, it looks like a really cool stadium. I'm going to definitely try to go to a game this year, probably in the spring when it's a little bit less um, intense of trying to get tickets for the first matches, so I definitely want to go check out a game there just because we've got to go see the new stadium. And plus, uh, they they've been doing a lot um, a lot of fan activities before the game. So, like for the Barca game, they had activities starting at twelve o'clock, and the game was at eight forty five kickoff. So they had like parties, concerts, these type of things because they want to kind of bring this pre game fan activity. To the Wanda, right? Because the Wanda is is basically in this suburb that they have lots of space to do this. So they kind of want to create almost like a a tailgate uh, party type of atmosphere because there's not enough bars there to to house all the people like that, like it was in the Calderon. The Calderon's in a neighborhood with plenty of bars to go drink some beers beforehand. But in this neighborhood, in the Swansa's neighborhood, which is in the east of Madrid, there isn't uh, too many things set up yet. So they have to set up these huge tents, these type of things. But it's actually been really uh, good outcome because more fans are going before they're having more of a, uh, like a pep rally type of atmosphere. So it's actually been working out. So I'll definitely uh, check out a game,
0: obviously take pictures and we'll, I'll talk about it on the podcast when I do. Yeah. I can't wait for that. But so let's finally talk about the game itself. Um, Now I'd like to start off with uh, some of the listener reactions we got to the game because, and we got a a few of them Um, and the main theme was this first point why did Valverde put Gomez at right winger? And that same sentiment came from Schnarfen, Meech04, and Rock 88 all on Instagram. That's the first point that we have to really talk about.
1: So let's get into that first point. This is one of my hot takes, right? This is my coming in hot on this one. This is such a nightmare <clears throat> on so many levels. I can't. He, oh my God, this guy hurts my heart. Um, Andre, Andrew Gomez, man, this guy just is like in the way he's always in the way. That's not like, I can't explain it even more. Like he's not like we've already talked about. It. He's not particularly fast. Uh, he's not particularly a great passer. He's not particularly a good shooter. He's not particularly a good header. Like he's just at like above average at all these things. Right. Just like his beautiful interview. Right. <laughs> of You know, Mr. Vanilla, Mr. Gray, you know, this type of guy, but him playing right wing. When I saw the lineup, I almost dropped my phone. I was like, He doesn't add anything. He does not add anything, and every time he just looks like some some guy they picked off the street. They're like, "We need another eleven, so just go play." Uh, You know, he just like sits there. He doesn't do any passing. He's just like in the way. I don't understand. I do not understand. If this is our quote unquote strongest lineup, how is Andres Gomez in it? Like, I would much rather have your man crush playing right wing because he's way more flexible in passing he's more dynamic and he has better eyes beautiful eyes exactly yeah. <laughs> beautiful eyes so for me i would sw- like if you're going to play this formation i don't even know what it was last night it was it, it was chaos it was complete chaos because it leads us to this our next sentiment from the other listeners go ahead and introduce the next sentiment or reaction
0: well the other big reaction was to suarez um, L rock 88 says Suarez is either not match fit or mentally incapable of performing. And he says, should Paco be considered either sub for Suarez or to start Paco isn't my first choice, but what other options do we have? So let me
1: ask you this. Did you, I don't know if you saw in the game yesterday, but I pointed out to my, my friend who's the real Madrid fan. He loves football. He's pretty good at watching tactical stuff. I point out to him. I said, look where Luis Suarez is right now. And Luis Suarez was, like, playing left wing top corner. I was like, that's not where he's supposed to be. Luis Suarez does not have a great first touch. His attributes is like he's a bull in a china shop, right? So you have to kind of just give him the ball up in the middle and let him create and do stuff. He he needs a lot of opportunities to score the goal. But him playing up at that left wing position that he was doing last night, that was another chaos thing. It was just like you had Andres Gomez on the right wing and you had... Luis Suarez on the left wing. It's like, what's going on here? I just don't understand.
0: So. (sighs) Well, okay. so, well, why don't you collect yourself and I'll I'll chime in here. (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah, there were definitely times where Suarez was very far out left on the left wing. And obviously he didn't do anything over there. Um, It was more of a momentary thing in general he was trying to position himself right where we would expect him to be right where he wants to be in the center and i mean if i were guessing i'd say it was about 50-50 but when he's out on the left wing 50% of the time that's definitely not good he needs to be in the center 90% of the time i mean if you want to talk statistical averages and also i have my i have various uh specific Reactions to Suarez, but the the main image that sticks with me with Suarez is the one of him after he'd scored his goal, holding his ear up to the crowd, as if saying, you know, what do you have to say to me now? Like, um, well, Luis, I, I have a couple of things to to point out. Yeah, like let's talk about the 80th minute when Dooley, who's that's what I'm calling De La Feu now, I'm taking on your habit of giving nicknames. De La Feu is too hard to say, as you have proven. So let's just start calling him Dooley. So Dooley had a free run down the right side. They were expecting him to keep going and try to cut in because that's what he'd been doing since he came on. But instead, he sent this real dagger pass to Suarez in the box, but he couldn't control it. It did look like the ball was coming in pretty hot, but I'm going to go ahead and blame Suarez and his touch. You know, maybe that's not fair, but he could have put it away if he could have taken the steam out of that pass, if he had had a better touch and we'd be two more points ahead. So... I I don't think that just by scoring one goal, you've silenced everyone. You know, clearly your touch again has, I wouldn't say failed us. I don't want to be too harsh. But, you know, we could have had a win if you had a better touch, Suarez. That's all I'm saying.
1: You know, when Suarez played for Liverpool, he wasn't asked to have this amazing first touch, right? Because that wasn't in his DNA. It wasn't how they play in EPL. If you watch an EPL game, their first touch is not the greatest because of the conditions of just the way they play. It's just not... uh, What suits them, and when there is a player with a great first touch, they 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 stand out completely, like David Silva or Kuna like these type of high end players. There's only a couple of them in the EPL. But Suarez, his first touch last night was on display as like what not to do. You know, like, what not to do? Like, how many times did he get the ball a pass in? And he would try to get a move. I remember in this one instant play, he tried to do a move, and the ball came up behind him, and he lost the ball. And I was like, is this guy serious? Like, your one goal is to hold the ball, like, as his position, just to hold the ball and create chaos in the middle. And he's not doing any of that right now. I don't know what Val Green's asking him to do as his role, but he just looks completely lost, and he's becoming ineffective. And for me, that's really... I don't know, I wouldn't say dire straits, but it's it's not going in the right path. He only has one goal. Mind you, it was last night, you know, it was a great goal too, but he hasn't been scoring as he as he's done before, and he just looks completely lost out there. And your boy Deli, I'm gonna call him Deuces. How about that? Okay, Deuces. All right. <laughs> deuces came in and of course he did his patented deuces move and everyone knows that's going to happen and again that was a great pass he gave to Suarez and Suarez muffed it and especially in a game like last night where you're not getting a lot of chances you have to make the best of those chances and Suarez muffed it you know and it's just you know he he needs to get the ball in chaos in the middle either a header or a turnaround shot or something like this and he's just not getting those opportunities he's outside the box they're asking him to like cut in and do these crazy moves which his feet he's like he's like telling his foot to turn left and it's not moving you know what i'm saying it's kind of like there's a disconnect between his legs and his mind you know it's like one of these things so
0: yeah well let's bring it back to gomez for a second because honestly i think this was as far as how he was on the ball and how he played it was one of the better performances i had seen from gomez And uh, so I'd say he, for him, played pretty well, actually. Um, But he was way out of position in the right wing. And he and Semedo were not linking up well. And it was very much like they had no idea what to do with each other. They had no chemistry, no communication. And then it was really interesting that Semedo was the one who came off rather than than Gomez. Gomez got shifted over to to the left when Iniesta came off. And uh, Sergio Roberto and, and Deuces came in. And then they were pulling things out to the right, opening things up in the center more, which was great once that happened. Um, but overall, I mean, I feel like Gomez actually had, again, for him, a pretty good game. Um, he was just in the wrong place. So, again, I think that falls to Val Green.
1: I agree. Like,
0: yeah, he made
1: passes. He did a couple things. But for me, overall, he was a disgrace because he's clogging the attack He's not doing anything. He has no clue out there. He has no chemistry with Samedo, even though they both speak Portuguese. So you would think it would just be even easier for them on the field. But these type of things, yeah, he made passes. He didn't like really lose the ball. He was kind of just there. Again, he, vanilla, like everything vanilla. So my point is like, yeah, he didn't lose the ball. He probably had a good accuracy passing and these type of things statistically. But for me, he was always in the way. every time I saw him with the ball, I was like, get out of the way, get out of the way. I was like yelling at the TV, you know, it's like, (laughs) he's just, he's just in the way, you know, it's like, just move, you know? So that's why for me, I would have much rather had Sergio Roberto because not only would he have a better chemistry with Rakitic um, and Semedo, but also he has so much more dynamic flexibility, cutting in, doing the passes. He's like one of our only people on our team that actually pass or cross the ball without getting blocked. Did you count how many times our crosses got blocked last night? No, but By, it was a lot. I, it was it was a lot. Like Alba Gomes, like every I was I was flipping out with that. I just it's one of my biggest pet peeves because if you're a professional player, that means that you can do things at a at a high level, and crossing the ball is one of those traits. And I can, it, it drives me insane. It drives me insane that these players they don't cross early. They wait for the player to come so close to them that they have no angle to cross the ball. That's why Sergio's Roberto Cross was so great because he did it early. I don't know if you watched the replay. He didn't wait for the player to come. He saw the action before, crossed it. It was a clean cross, a great cross, and it scored the goal. But a lot of times these players, they wait too long for the defense to come to them, and they, they block more than half of it. These type of things, like for me with Gomes, it's just I, – I just – I cannot believe he's on the team. I just cannot believe this. And my, my Real Madrid friend was making fun of it last night because he was saying that uh, when they signed Gomes, that one of the things was like, we stole him from Real Madrid. And my friend was like, I'm so glad he's not on Real Madrid. I was like, Ugh, this guy, I can, oh my God. Like you're telling me last night that either Paco Alcázar wouldn't have been better last night? I think maybe he would have. At least he's fast. Yeah. Right? Like he would have he put some, you see the lineup. Let's say Felipe Luis. he sees the lineup and he's like, Andre Gomez out there? Pfft. Easy, right? Done. Like I, I got this. You know, now I can focus on Messi more. Like it brings no fear to anybody. No fear.
0: Yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree with you. I'm You know, I just try to be. Uh, I just try to be kind.
1: I, I told you, I'm coming in hot today. Oh, no, I'm I, hear in hot. I hear you.
0: I hear you. I feel it. I feel. I feel the heat coming from Madrid. The heat out of Madrid. That's you. But yes. in general, I'd say the story of this game was really just one of close calls and. There were close calls on both sides, uh, really, but of course I want to focus on our close calls. I mean, even 30 seconds into the game, we broke through, uh, but just Messi couldn't get the ball out from under his feet, and and he put the shot wide. And that right there, in those first 30 seconds, that pretty much sums up how most of the game went, just a lot of close calls. Um, the first half was, was definitely rough. Uh, all of these positioning things, you know, Gomez getting in the way of everything, uh, just n- nothing quite clicking. All of that was happening. Um, but Terstegan, Stegen, who uh, I have chosen as my man of the match, he made some crucial saves in that first half when Atletico were most threatening. And he made those really crucial saves that really made the the, the draw possible. But going through some of these these close calls, like look at the 70th minute, most of them are in the second half. Everything went right. You know, if you look at the replay, it was right around, uh, you know, 69 70 minutes. Barca played the ball forward. Barca played the ball forward very quickly from the top of the first third, Umtiti to Busquets to Rakitic to Messi on the right just outside the box. He runs in, plays it back to Rakitic running forward. You know, he backheels it, return And at that point, Rakitic had taken most of the defenders with him. So it was this great opportunity. Messi had the shot, uh, but he put it wide because he had to get the shot off quickly with Godin coming in with a slide. So it wasn't a completely free shot, but like that was a really close call that they missed.
1: So, yeah, I mean, the second, the first half was brutal. Like we were, I think at one point we had 70 percent possession at one time. They showed the stat and I was flipping out at this because, again, we were going back to our old traits of, going side to side, but not really being dangerous, right? I mean, how many times were they just playing it all the way around, all the way back, all the way around? For example, Suarez wasn't creating that chaos in the middle for them to do those balls in the middle. And so for me, again, when you're going to play these tough matches, especially against Atletico, the Atletico, are they want you to have the ball. They don't care because they want to counter, especially when they're playing, quote-unquote, better teams than them, that Barcelona needs to shoot from further distance a little bit more, you know, break up that monotony of always passing the ball from left to right. And I know that is the Barca style, the possession to try to create that, opportune moment but we have to make that a version 2.0 you know I always tell my friends I'm like they just need to shoot a couple times and then the defense starts to come out and then you can possess around them and it just opens up a different dimension but if they always know that you're not going to shoot from outside like take Atletico's goal they shot from outside the box and it was a, a great shot right I mean it was a perfect angle and they tried other shots I remember Griezmann tried a volley kind of outside the box they tried another shot but it gives you that you always have to pay attention to it, right? And so as a defender, that's always going to keep you on your toes. But if you know that, for example, when Iniesta is just playing the ball to Alba, Alba to Iniesta, Iniesta to Alba, Alba to Messi, Messi back to Busquets, Busquets back to Pique, it's like, yeah, I get it. We're possessing the ball, so we don't have to play defense. I get that theory. I understand it. I like it. But at the same time, we have to be dangerous. The, the, the point of the game is to win the game and we need to score goals to do that. And especially if we go up one, nothing, then all of a sudden atletico is chasing the match. And then we can counter on that. And then we're more dangerous that way. But when atletico score the first goal, they all of a sudden can just bring everyone back, be more solidified on defense. And they know that, I mean, when was the last time that Barcelona scored from outside the box? I mean, I know they did this season, but that was like once, you know, and also they're not shooting that much, Uh, So these are the type of things that just kind of we still need to adapt for these big games. And I know Valverde made some some adjustments because in the second half, it was evident that they were doing more attacking these type of things. They had more opportunities. But again, it's just start with that in the first half.
0: Yeah, I agree. And there was actually speaking about that. There is one really good thing that that Gomes did, which is that he took a shot from outside the box. It was a horrible shot. It went way over the goal. But he at least attempted it, you know. And I thought, okay, this this is when he's been shifted over to left mid after Iniesta came on, and at least he took the shot. It was, you know, it was bad. But if they had been doing more of that, it would have had the exact effect that you were talking about. It would have, you know, drawn the defenders out because they would have suspected, okay, there there might be a shot coming here. We don't know. You just got to create threats and get them thinking and get them guessing and draw them out. And again, it was horrible, but at least he did it.
1: You know, it's funny, like, I always think of the NFL strategy of defense when I'm th- when I'm watching football as well. By the way, I was just laughing. You almost made me spit my water out when you said the Gomes comment. Yeah, I saw that. Gomes <laughs> comment, because all I could think about was either, was he trying a field goal kick, or what was he trying on that kick? It was just like, just a bit outside, you know? It was like, Whoa. <laughs> 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 You know, like, anyway, when I'm watching the football match, I use... What I used to play, you know, football or watching NFL, these type of things. You're trying to make a team one dimensional because it's easier to defend, right? So in foot, in American football or NFL, if it's a passing team, you want to make them run the ball. You know, you want to change their their attack basically just to make it one dimensional. And Barcelona does that for other teams, especially with bigger teams. They just say, okay, we're gonna, we're trying to make this amazing goal by working the pass. But if they did more crosses, if they shot from outside, if they did the variety of attacks that they could do, then all of a sudden that puts the defense so much on edge because now it's like not only do we have to watch the ground game, the passing at our feet, but now we have to keep track of the headers and then we have to keep track of the shots outside. I'm just saying it for the big games, you know, because that's when the defense is going to be better and stronger that we're going to face. Obviously against like Hitafe or some other lower tier teams we can possess and we're still going to win the game. I'm comfortable with that. But these big games against Bayern, against Chelsea, against uh, real Madrid, i to go, we need to vary the attack just to have more opportunities like we did in the second half and eventually led to a goal with Suarez with the header by your man crush cross.
0: Yeah. Now there's one other close call that I do want to talk about. And this was actually in the first half and this was Messi's free kick. Uh, it was a 57th minute um, hit the post and it was so beautiful, I mean, he got it over the wall, and the spin was ridiculous, even in slow motion, the spin was out of control, and of course that 's actually what caused it to hit the post It was that it had too much spin on it it, it went it went outside, but just the, the amount of spin he can get on that ball while also getting you know the height to get it over the wall and it was like fairly close. it was just outside the box. Ray Hudson had the best thing to say about it. he says he could bend light. <laughs> <laughs> and he could absolutely bend light. You know, you could see like the curvature of the Earth in in, in his in his free kicks sometimes. So I have three things for you
1: on that. Uh, I don't know if you know, uh, Brian, but when I used to play, I was the free kick specialist. So when I watched, well, yeah, oh. so I could I couldn't bend light like Messi, but I would I am left footed, and I love watching Messi and his angles because I put myself in the position. Obviously, I am not even a tenth of the talent what Messi could do with the free kicks, but. I love watching how he sets up and where he goes with it. If you watch the replay of that, you have to watch the wall. The wall that Atletico sets up and then right before the action is hilarious because they're falling down. They're pushing. My friend pointed out on replay. He just said, what a wall. Like it was just chaos, right? <laughs> and But that chaos led to a, a hole where Messi could go over it and have a better angle at it. And then the other thing I have to tell you is you got to – there's a Ray Hudson says Twitter account where they – during the matches when Ray Hudson, they just quote the random lines that he does on Twitter. It's fabulous. I'll I'll send it to you, but it's fabulous. So like something like this would be like uh, Ray Hudson and has like his picture. It's like he could bend light, you know, and it's like that's his tweet.
0: <laughs> OK, that's something that I might actually use Twitter for. <laughs> but yeah, it was just – these close calls, one after the other, you know? Exactly. And especially in
1: the second half, I had a better feeling that we were going to equalize and we were going to escape with the point. Because, again, we were doing the varied attack. We had more opportunities. They were fouling more. And so when that happens, you know Messi's going to have more opportunities for a free kick and he almost scored. And Oblak is a top-tier goalkeeper. And he was almost beaten a couple times on those free kicks.
0: If you put those those two goalkeepers, terstegen and Oblak, head-to-head, I mean, those are Easily two of the best. Oblak is is hard as nails. He's tough to to beat. And he, I mean, he's probably one of the strongest things about Atletico on on the defensive end. I mean, they have great defenders also, but he's just a great you know gatekeeper. Yeah, and, and Ter Stegen, man, he
1: had such a great game and. You know, more and more, he is just becoming the, the future, you know. Like, he is going to be at Barcelona for a long, long time. Like I was telling my friend last night, I'm so glad we have Ter Stegen because not only does he have the physicality that you want in a goalkeeper that we've talked about. Question for you. Who has a better first touch? Ter Stegen or Suarez? Yeah, exactly. Ter Stegen has a better first touch than our number nine exactly exactly I mean you see the passes that Ter Stegen drops in the bucket like it's ridiculous and having him as our goalkeeper you've his reactions he keeps getting better and better every year too that's the other thing compare him his first year in Barcelona he was good but he he kind of looked shaky at times but now he commands the back line he makes great saves he's I mean he's definitely anchoring
0: the defense He's doing a lot of things really, really well now. Yeah, and that's exactly why he was my man of the match. So let's talk about your man of the match. My man of the match was Umtiti, Puyol
1: 2.0. That's what I'm going to start calling him. He's (laughs) this guy. I I was telling my friend uh, last night. His name is Gabriel, too. So we were joking around. Like, I kept saying, uh, Puyol, Puyol, you know. But how many times did he intercept plays last night on the counter? Like, he was impressive. Now, the only one time I remember was Griezmann going through. But that was because of P.K. Umtiti, there was a bad communication. But for the most part, Umtiti broke up so many plays He always makes the right pass in chaos. Do you ever notice that? That's such a hard quality to have. You can't teach that. That's just like something instinctual. When he should turn left, he turns left to make the pass. Like if there's a defender on his right, he doesn't go back. He always picks the right pass. And last night he just... He dominated. He looked really, really strong. Him and PK are such a formidable pair now. They Every time MTT's out there, how confident are you that we're going to have a good defensive showing? I mean, that's, that's the thing.
0: I know. He always makes me feel good uh, when he's out there. I, I trust in the defense. I mean, honestly, I, was, I knew that he was going to wind up being crucial in this match. And um, I also knew that he was probably going to wind up being your man of the match. So I didn't want to take it. And and I was starting to track all of the plays that he broke up and all the good stuff he did. I mean, I started losing track. I I made a couple of lists. Like in the fifth minute, he made a really crucial tackle. And then on a free kick in the 29th minute, he was big in the box, broke that play up. I mean, just his height, his physicality and his intelligence, all of these things you're pointing out, um, they make him really just so critical to uh, the defensive end of Barca's game.
1: Like think of the last time there was a striker in the last two years that out raced Umtiti to a ball. I can't think of any, like, there has, you know, I remember a couple of times like Mascherano, just because he's not the fastest, there's been a couple, you know, when Mascherano's on defense, he has that kind of vulnerability that to him that he can get outpaced by someone like a Griezmann or something. But there was a couple of times when Titi just, when I remember being taught in, in when I was younger, when you're chasing the ball, right, you don't want to chase in a direct line. You almost kind of want to veer into the guy so that, it takes away his speed. You know what I'm saying? Like you're not going one-on-one. And Utiti does that brilliantly. Like every time there's a guy that he's going one-on-one, he takes the guy's lane and gets the ball and then just passes it and, and just steals it.
0: I mean, he, last night he did it probably two or three times. And that's exactly why you, you call him Puyol 2.0 because that's exactly what Puyol would do. Exactly. He, he, was, he was able to read the lanes and cut off the lanes and get the ball.
1: And also, he sees the play. There was, like, a couple of plays where they, Atletico, made a great pass in the box. And, and who was there? Umtiti. Like, he saw the play, like, two plays before. And he's, he man, he's just, like I said, Puyol. I love that guy forever and ever. Umtiti, all he needs to do is grow his hair long, and he's the new Puyol. That's the only thing he... Umtiti is my man crush all right that's my man crush
0: okay fair <laughs> enough
1: <laughs> i get lost i get um, lost so, i get lost in his play not his eyes
0: <laughs> well i mean that's the thing with sergio roberto though he has it all you know he, he's just hanging out with his friends and his fiance around barcelona or in israel they're going to the shops and he just looks like a normal guy and he has these beautiful eyes and this incredibly cute dog oh my god His dog, Baloo, is the cutest. I follow him on Instagram. Um, And then he comes up big in games, too. Like, the way he's just cutting inside, he just opens up everything on that right side, everything he does. So, I mean... I, I, he's my man crush for many, many reasons. Not just those deep blues he's got. I know. I mean, when he came, I mean, I I agree with
1: everything you said. Like it, when he came into the match, he he definitely changed up the the flexibility. The attack was more dynamic. I just wish he would have came in for Gomes because I would have liked to seen Semedo still in there because Tomato is fast. To see them link up, maybe could have created more chaos on the right side. But again, like we talked about earlier about the crossing. Sergio Roberto's decision to cross the ball early before I think it was Felipe Luis came to him and also delivered a really dangerous ball where Oblak didn't come to punch it out and Suarez to finish the way he finished. That was just a quality tic-tac-toe type of play. I mean, the way he headed the ball and also he headed it down to give that, you know, Unpredictability of where the ball was going to go. So overall, your boy did very well in the match. I just wish he would have started. I just wish he would have
0: started. Yeah. Overall, it seems like uh, Colin Valverde out on this. It's uh, it seems like a really strange game to experiment with because that seems like what he was doing. It seemed like he was trying kind of an experiment with the lineup, uh, obviously with Gomes, and then you know, again, everything changed once. Once Sergio Roberto and Delafeo or Deuces came on, <laughs> and and so yeah, we're just we're just left wondering why in this match against Atletico at the Wanda do you want to try these experiments? So I, I hope that he learned something from that, and that moving forward, you know, we'll see more more threatening lineups. So before we move forward, I just have a quick I have a quick question for you. Do you think
1: Mister Mister Gray, Mister Vanilla, Mister Andrew Gomes has like? nude photos of val green that he's like blackmailing him to like keep him in the starting 11 like what do you think like this is this was this was a topic in our conversation last night with my friends because how is this like exactly what you said why did he choose this game to experiment why did he choose this game to have gomes like have him play against a a lower tier team if he needs minutes or uh, what's
0: the deal i I think it's possible that he has some uh, incriminating evidence on val green maybe I think, and this is definitely on the level of conspiracy theory, I don't think that this really holds a whole lot of water. But I'm going to say it anyway. I get the feeling, because there were similar questions last year with Luis Enrique. Like, why is he playing Gomez? And he kept standing up for Gomez and kept you know having confidence in him, even though Gomez was not having good performances. And so my conspiracy theory on this is that the pressure is coming down to the manager from upstairs. I don't know who in the front office. I don't know if it's, you know, one of the vice presidents or one of the sporting directors or if it's coming straight from Bartomeo. And I also don't know that there's any validity to this at all. But if I'm theorizing or hypothesizing, I'm wondering if, you know, maybe there's some kind of pressure that's coming from the front office on down on Val Green And the same thing was coming down on Luis Enrique. Like, hey, you know, this uh, this Gomez kid, you know, maybe he could use some more minutes. be uh, be real sad if something were to happen to you if he didn't (laughs) i think it's
1: perfectly plausible because like that that's the only explanation or maybe he's like the greatest practice player you know like in training he's just like amazing in training training he's like whoa this guy's amazing he's like he's like portuguese Messi, and then he comes out to the game he's like uh what's going on here you know so i don't i don't know i just yeah exactly uh what's your favorite book Mm, the bible I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Not even your favorite book, just a book. Correct. <laughs> w- w- and then he's like, what's a
1: book? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, so we'll, we'll hope that uh, that next week goes better. Speaking of next week, uh, let, we have two matches coming up. Uh, the first one is going to be on Wednesday in the Champions League against Olympiacos. Uh, some background on this. Uh, Olympiakos has yet to get any points in Group D of the Champions League. And, of course, Barcelona is riding high at the top of that group. And the other two teams in the group, Juventus and Sporting, each have had one win and one loss. The wins were both against Olympiakos and the losses were both to Barcelona. So what are we, we going to expect to see here? Valgreen is generally good about squad rotations, as we've observed so far. Um, what kind of lineup do you think we should expect to see?
1: So I definitely think it's going to be uh, the triangle of Ter Stegen, Umtiti, and Pique. And then I think it's going to be Alba, and I think it's going to be Vidal or Semedo on the right. I would obviously prefer Semedo, but this type of game, you could play Vidal or even Sergio Roberto on the right back. And then the same uh, midfield except Iniesta, they probably might change out for Gomes or, uh, I don't even know, someone else. And then at the top, I would like to see um, Deuce's start... Um, At least it gives us a right winger, a true right winger, and then have Suarez in the middle and then obviously Messi wherever he roams. And so... I think they should get the points. Uh, Olympiacos, like I was doing a little research before, really hard to find kind of information on it. The player to watch I found on them was a Brazilian striker, Seba, but he has this season so far more cards than goals. So that's not, that's not, (laughs) that's not a good stat to have, right? He has three cards and zero goals. So not looking too good, but he's young and he's got a lot of potential, but he's the, the player they have. They have a lot of, uh, Greek players. Um, Not really anything too worried about the uh, Olympiacos. Again, the other thing, too, it's going to be a comfortable environment. It's going to be in the Camp Nou. So, obviously, with the field dimensions, Barcelona should have possession. I'm calling maybe a 4-1, a 4-0 type of victory, I'm hoping. But I think they should. Uh, easily beat Olympiakos.
0: yeah and again depending upon the lineup if it is a, a particularly strong lineup uh yeah i think we could potentially see a, a blowout here like a really bad one then again you never know if Olympiakos might just go super defensive and really just try and hold them off and maybe see if they can grab a draw i'm wondering how much confidence they have going into this match probably not a whole lot uh, but so the more interesting match would be next saturday in la liga against malaga and this is at the camp Nou. And, uh, you know, my thoughts on this, um, I'm just, for some reason, the loss to Malaga that was in Malaga last year is just still really stuck in my mind. That was such a disappointing loss. It was right in the midst of all of that, um, that real kind of valley they were having where The form just wasn't there. And, you know, it seemed like they were improving, but then they would fall back. And it was right in the middle of that whole situation. I think it was also right around the time that uh, I'd started making my podcast. So maybe that's why it, it sticks in my mind so much. But in any case, this situation, you know, we're at the Comp New, new manager, new dynamic in the squad, a lot more teamwork happening, able to pull out tight wins against, you know, lesser, quote unquote, lesser teams, as we've seen. So, you know, hopefully we can get another win on this. But who's the Malaga player to watch this week? So the
1: Malaga player to watch is Diego Roland. He's a Uruguayan, 24 years old. He's on loan from Bordeaux, and he's a center forward. He's a typical Uruguayan center forward, like our boy uh, Mantooth um, Suarez. He, uh, he has a couple goals. Um, he has a lot of potential, uh, strong physical in the air. I was kind of watching the YouTube highlight reel of him Obviously, anyone on YouTube highlights look freaking amazing, but just to kind of get an idea of his style, um, he's an aerial threat. Um, a lot of people in Malaga are really happy to have him this year. He's, on, he's basically on a one-year loan to get more playing time, develop a little bit more. And they say that um, the team is really happy with his performance. He seems like a really good guy. He's also um, gone on the national team as well for Uruguay. So he'll be playing in the World Cup. Well, he should be on the World Cup squad coming up as well. I think also the Malaga match for me stands out. Like, like for you, for the when you start your podcast and so forth. For me, it was like the epitome of Luis Enrique's tenure. It was like he didn't take Malaga seriously. He didn't rotate the squad. We hadn't wanted Malaga in forever, and he just kind of just threw away La Liga with that with that match because we needed that match to get points, you know. So. Obviously, in the camp, know it's going to be a different story. Obviously, with the field dimensions, it always puts us in an advantage. And also, I think they should win. It's going to be a tough match because Michel, the the manager, has them playing pretty well. And they're always a tough team. They're a, a strong team. They're physical. They're not as physical as, I would say, at Letty, but they're a pretty good team. And we'll see what happens. I, I'm curious to see because if they kill or if they have a good showing against Olympiacos, then he can rest Busquets. He can do these type of things to have them fresh for the Saturday match.
0: Yeah, and it's worth pointing out that right now Malaga is in 20th place. They're at the very bottom of the table. And just like you've pointed out with all the smaller teams, and Malaga is more of a mid-sized team, you know. But whenever these uh, these smaller teams go up against Barcelona, it's huge for them. Everyone gets up for that. And it's like you said, it's like their Super Bowl so even though they're in 20th place and they are really not off to a great start in La Liga, they can definitely create some threats. They can be very defensive. They can catch us out if we make mistakes. So there is that, that potential. And they're going to want to come to Barcelona, come to the Camp Nou and make some kind of showing. So, it, yeah, it's not going to be an easy game. And I would expect Valverde to know that, to not take it lightly to take Malaga seriously and um, and do everything he can to really put a, you know, put a good lineup out there and get the three points.
1: I mean, for the most part, you know, Val Green's been doing really well with the squad rotation. This is the time that you should rotate the squad because – we don't have these big games yet in a row where we need consistency in the lineup so i'm perfectly happy to see a little rotation in the olympiacos and then also the malica but keeping a core obviously messi's gonna play in all those games because that guy's not human right the guy i don't know what he does he sleeps like in a hyperbaric chamber at night i don't know what he does like i don't know if he's like a Vampire, and he's immortal, or something. I don't know, but the other players it's great to get more playing time, more exposure, and getting more confidence. If they win, it just helps us in the long run. If someone gets injured or something like this, I trust Val Green's going to have a good week. And plus, the other thing too is both matches are at home, so that's definitely going to help with the comfortability, um, the players just being at, at ease because they're at home, and also the camp note giving us that at, uh, home field advantage with the dimensions of the field
0: that's it for this week everybody be a part of the show give us your comments your questions topics you'd like us to discuss and you can do that by visiting us at barsatalk.net thank you so much for listening don't forget to rate review and spread the word about barsatalk to your friends for now i'm brian henderson i'm gabriel quiroga and this has been barsatalk have a great week everyone visca barsa visca barsa
1: Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring